Most people have a good idea, most people are educated, and most people could generally give you the answer. Except we don't need answers in life. Google gives you most of the answers that you need. What you need is the ability. What you need is the ability to ask yourself the questions to get the answers that are inside of you. And they don't teach that at school. And that comes from gradually asking yourself questions and you get better at answering those questions. But when you're constantly answering other people's questions, you never go inside yourself. Or when you're too busy taking other people's advice, you don't even ask any questions. So really, that that was life-changing for me because now I don't conform. And now I don't take advice. I go and see and experiment with bits of advice that I feel come from the right place and see if it works. But I don't take it. I go and test it. Welcome to the Just Minding My Black-Owned Business podcast, the place to be if you are a business owner, entrepreneur, or business leader wanting to take your business from good to great. Tune in as we speak with amazing thought leaders, CEOs, and business trailblazers about their journey, challenges, and successes. Here's your host and business innovation expert, Lynn Nicole. Have you ever asked yourself, who am I to think I can start a business? If I did start a business, what would I even sell or teach or even do? And do I need a ton of money to start something? What if I don't want to change my whole life and give up on my career, but I still want to develop a side hustle? Is it possible to do both? These are all incredibly common questions for anyone who's been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. As the pandemic continues to plode along and we continue to wonder when work will return, it's become very common for people to come to the realization Maybe it's time I rely less on other people's projects and I start creating my own income sources. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Just Minding My Black Owned Business podcast. I'm Lynn Nicole. In today's Q&A session, I welcome special guest Lee Chambers, environmental psychologist and founder of Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing. Hi, Lee. Thanks for joining me for this Q&A session. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you today, Lynn. So I want to get started with asking you this first. What does minding your Black-owned business mean to you? So minding my Black-owned business, what does that mean to me? What, what it actually means is that ultimately I am in a world, I'm in an industry that isn't Black. But for me, those barriers and challenges that I faced, I actually want that to be something that I can be defined by because it's something that I face every day. And yet it has made me work harder. It has made me not conform. It's made me not take as much advice. And it's really made me be me. And that's what this is all about. It's all about being authentically yourself and stepping over those obstacles that have been placed, breaking through those barriers and smashing through those limits. 
When you were a kid, Lee, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I, I was a curious and disruptive young man. So <laughs> I, I wanted to be a racing driver. I wanted to do risky, dangerous things. But I was there with my little glasses on. I, I could barely see. So it was uh, <laughs> maybe not the best. I'm blind in my left eye, so it does affect me a little bit. But if, if I'm honest, that, that was what I wanted to be when I was younger. And I also kind of wanted to possibly be a little bit of a businessman too. Um, I was quite entrepreneurial. I used to try and ask my mum, can I sell this on the end of the street? What was your first business idea and what did you do with it? Oh, wow. So my first business idea was when I was 12, I had an Amiga, a computer. And I used to get, my uncle used to buy me a magazine. And what I noticed was in the back of this magazine, there was lots of adverts for mail ordering games. And I was like, I can do that. I'm 12, but I got, I've saved up my pocket money. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. <laughs> so I managed to find out who wholesale those games as a 12 year old on the phone, phoned them off my little house phone with my card and Managed to convince them that you know I, I was I was willing to buy some buy some stock by mail order, and then I found the magazine, and and I had my parents send a check, so so I could place a little ad in the magazine, and I sold a few games, as if I was eighteen when I was only twelve. My parents are blue collar workers, so I have that work ethic, but I saw how hard they worked and thought there must be an easier way. How would your parents describe what you do for a living in their words? How would they describe it? Uh, they, they describe that I help people and I help people in my own unique way. I think that's the way they, they would. They, that's, what, that's how they would phrase what I do. Tell me about your backstory and how you got started on your entrepreneur journey. Yeah, so again, I was that, you know, son, son, son from a blue collar family, two younger brothers. Uh, and that disruptive and curious child uh, grew up in the north of England, and you know what? It, it was a, it was a good childhood. We always had food on the table, always had a roof over our heads. And what I was is I was quite laid back, a little bit lazy, but I got really good grades in school, and I just found that I could do that, and it didn't even take much effort. Um, so I cruised for education just getting the grades that I needed to do to progress to the next place. And then I became the first one in our whole family to go to university. That was a big thing, becoming the first one in the extended family, because what it did is, parents said to me, now you've shown that anyone in the family can go into education at a higher level if they want to. And, you know, you should be proud of yourself. We're proud of you. And that obviously felt like a good thing back then when I was 18. And I went off to university, packed my bags, and all of a sudden, this world of freedom, autonomy, I loved it at first. I was I was there, joined different societies and groups, you know, met, meeting new people and just doing what I wanted when I wanted. That freedom felt amazing. And the first year just flew by. And the first year of university here in the UK, it's very similar to college. So I didn't have to put much effort in. I was fine. But then I got into the real challenging part where suddenly in the second year it gets much, much harder. And I just started to struggle a bit because all these years I'd not put that much effort in. 
and I've been fine just winging it, not doing too much revision and do too much work outside of the lectures and the tutorials. And I just started to find it a bit challenging, but I also started to find it a bit challenging trying to define who I was going to become as a man. I was trying to make that transition from adolescent to adult, and I just didn't feel like I knew. I didn't feel like I knew myself. And that started to cause me a problem because I couldn't, if I didn't know myself, how could I express myself? How did I know how I was going to move forward and progress? So I looked into myself and just found I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the emotional intelligence, the self-awareness to really dig that bit deeper down and find out who, who was Lee Chambers the man? Who are you going to become? So I look out to society and, you know, young black men like me, I see rappers. I see sports stars, I see movie actors, but I don't see someone like me, this kind of strange, part entrepreneur, part scientist, part philosopher, little bit crazy. I didn't see anyone to model off. And then I was like, hmm, maybe I should look back in my past. And look back and realise that, yeah, I didn't really have that relationship with the with, with the men in my life who brought me up. And yeah, again, I was very different than them. So I just felt a bit stuck, started to isolate myself a little bit and not look after myself in the way that I should have been. I just started avoiding things because I felt like I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what to do. This is the first big challenge I'm having in my life and I don't feel like I can handle it. So I went back into my shell. I stopped going to university, stopped going to work. I stopped seeing my friends and going to societies. I just started to isolate myself and unfortunately I isolated myself for two weeks consecutively. And that became a problem because then, obviously, my parents found out, work phoned them, university phoned them, my friends phoned them. And that is like a very hard thing when you are trying to learn who you are and it's kind of hard to find someone to model after when they're not available. And I just found that what I actually needed at that point was what happened. And my parents came and took me home, took me out of that cauldron that I'd put myself in of self-doubt and worry and struggle and isolation just took me away suddenly with that pressure off just had a chance to just settle and once I'd had that chance to settle I realized this is just the first of many challenges you're going to face in your life and you've done what you were probably naturally inclined to do, which was to try and run away from it all. But you're an adult and you're like a man. You're now a man. You're going to become a man who goes into the boxing ring of life. And you can't just take a punch and then jump through the ropes and walk out and give up on life. You're going to have to take a few punches and a few punches back because that is just how life is. And when I had that space, started to have the chance to reflect and realize it wasn't me who was failing it was just the fact that I wasn't preparing I wasn't doing the work I needed to do and I didn't have that self-awareness but I wasn't going to get it overnight no one else was going to give it to me I would need to start working on it myself and treat it as something that I could cultivate over time well, what piqued your interest in environmental psychology and can you explain exactly what it is? Yeah, so the big thing about environmental psychology for me was I've always been interested in the areas around us and how they affect how we then interact with other people. So 
I've always had like a, a certain acuity for places and I'm like, why do when I stand here, I feel like this? But I walk a, a mile down the street and I feel different. Why is that? And that's like one of those curious things that always changed in my brain. I'd go and travel and I'd be like, why do I feel like this here? But then I go to the next city and I feel like this. So... Yeah, that that just made me want to kind of, and I did international business psychology as an undergraduate degree. And what that did is I saw a lot of different aspects and it was the environment in work that got me interested because I worked in some really good positive environments and some really toxic environments. And I was like, I want to understand why these environments are different. That, along with that curiousness, became the fuel. So environmental psychology it's a relatively new science. Most people, they've got an idea what it is, but they're not really sure what it is. The um, best way to describe it is to put it into three different strands. So the first strand, the area that I work on a lot, is looking at how humans behave and how their well-being is affected by being in different environments, urban-based environments. So you're looking at how the humans re- react, act, feel, feel emotively in cities in a domestic house, in a workplace, in a transport network, and looking at how human beings feel as they navigate the man-made world. The second group look at nature. So humans in nature, how nature changes us, how nature makes us interact differently, but also how spending a lot of time in nature makes us treat nature differently. That makes me wonder, because there are times, like I lived in Las Vegas for 12 years, Lee. I will never go back, let me tell you that. But (laughs) I digress. With that said, even when I have to go back, I can get on a plane and I'll be fine. And as soon as we are about to land, my anxiety goes up. I feel like it is like the devil's playground, like I do not belong there. It just feels not good to me. My headspace just goes all over the board. Yeah. And I mean, we we have those scenarios. And obviously, the thing with Las Vegas is there's a lot of stimulation there. It's hot. It's quite an oppressive place. And for some people, they thrive there. It That environmental stress fuels them. It's like their, their battery charge. And they can do all night. They are always switched on. And for them, that is just a way of life. But for some people, that seems like an absolute nightmare. And that's why, for a lot of people, it's a holiday vacation destination where you vacate your life to go and be entertained for a week and then escape because it's too much for you. (laughs) Yes, and they'll take all your money while you're there. It's the only place you can go, leave there broke, lose all your money, and still leave with a smile on your face. (laughs) Go figure that one. How did you even end up in the well-being consultancy space? It's like a huge jump from environmental psychologist to well-being consultant. Yeah, so a big part of that jump, Lynn, was the fact that my environmental psychology specialism is the environments of workplaces. So I would look at workplaces from a physical environmental perspective and a psychological environmental perspective. So I was going in and assessing 
the physical aspects such as lighting, density, we're looking at ventilation, we're looking at temperature, and we're looking at lots of different aspects, and especially acoustics and noise of different offices and how they were affecting employees. And what you realized is if people were getting a larger level of environmental stress from these physical aspects, it was affecting the well-being. They were more likely to be sick, more likely to be anxious, more likely to then leave the company, more likely to take time off, more likely to struggle to hit their performance targets. And then looking at the psychological aspect, again, that was affecting people's well-being. People didn't feel like they belonged. They didn't feel like the workplace was inclusive to their values, to their beliefs. They didn't feel like it was a place where they could do the best work without being blamed if things went wrong. They couldn't do things creatively because they feel that failure wasn't an option. And starting to look at these aspects and connect them together, everything was affecting people's overall level of well-being. And I just saw that with my other qualifications in sleep and nutrition, if I put that together, and I have quite a wide scope to see well-being, from a much more diverse perspective than your typical human resource professional. And I could use that to strategize how best to spend, and whether that was on management capability, on the mindfulness of leadership, whether it's because the inclusion and belonging simply isn't there and the workplace culture needs to change, or maybe it's the physical aspects, or maybe it's the little bit of all those things together to gradually make a workplace that people go to feeling well and leave feeling well in the same way. What were the biggest challenges for you personally in the beginning when you were getting started? I'd come from having run a video game business. So I do have a quite an entrepreneurial mindset. The big challenge in this industry is naturally, again, if I, as soon as I stepped into the wellness space, that's a space that isn't particularly black. It's a white dominated, highly female industry. And all of a sudden, here's me, Lee, who looks, who looks quite young, who talks fairly articulately, but he talks with a, he talks with a passion and a fire, but he doesn't look like well, wellness. He doesn't look like well-being. And I'd walk into, you know, I'd walk into pitch to companies and I wouldn't be pitching to a diverse board of people. I'd be pitching to, you know, a, a bunch of directors who are all white and all over 50. And here's this young black lad who looks like he's got an attitude problem dancing around in front of us telling he knows well-being. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And sometimes I had to be quite forthright about, you know, the skills that I have, my background share my story a bit and you know what that was challenging at first but I have gradually built that traction and got those testimonials got those case studies and really started to make a difference to the places that I worked and I'm lucky you know again I've not faced too much overt racism over the years and where I live it's majority white but it's more tolerant than a lot of other places that I've visited and yet at the same time, you have to be acutely aware that what's not overt is probably covert at the same time. And, and, and the truth is that there have been barriers and challenges where 
I, I am, you know, a little bit more hyper aware of the situation. And when you're when you're the, you know, the the talking black face in the room, sometimes that is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit daunting. I'm sat there in a room of thirty people. I'm the only person of colour. And it's like, yeah, I just need to be myself right here. I need to try not to psychologically tell myself I'm at a disadvantage because then you start to believe it even more. <laughs> so yeah, and I and I've tried my best to become more self-aware of myself and realize that other people have unconscious bias. Some people are becoming more aware and trying to unpack that. Some will never get to that point in the lifetime. But really, it's just about me showing that I can do the job that I do, you know, highly effectively, and that I am a, a, a rational and qualified human being. And to be honest, that started to shine through the consistency that I'm working with. And the fact that I've really started to, you know, define the people that I help and start to make a difference and an impact, which isn't just me shouting about it, but they're starting to shout about it as well. And yeah, I try to see the fact that I probably have to work a little bit harder. Sometimes, strangely, it's a bit of a gift because it's that challenge for me to grow even more, to become even more so than the people that I'm effectively competing with. I think that's great because that allows you and you've learned how to address those challenges, the best ways that work best for you. In your opinion, what's the key to being a successful business owner? Oh, wow. So it's challenging because everyone's vision of success is different. To to be a success in your business actually more to do with being your own version of success in your life so your business is a vehicle to being able to design the life that you want and to make the impact on the world that you desire and to be that successful business owner you really you need to be doing something you're good at something that you enjoy something where you bring value and something that you can monetize and if you put all those together, that feels like success because you're suddenly energized by the work that you do. You feel that this is this is you expressing your values, expressing what you're good at, enjoying it so that, yeah, as a business owner, sometimes you have to do stuff you don't like. But if you enjoy where you bring value, then you can you can wear that hat occasionally and not feel so bad about it. And for so many business owners, it's not about money. No one's going to go to the funeral and say, he was worth £25 million, rest in peace. But you would like to hear that, you know, he run a business, he made a change in his community. In fact, maybe he made a change in the world. He helped other leaders to become leaders. He opened the door for other people like him to step up and be who they were. He set an example to a whole generation of people to step outside of what they knew try something different, get outside of the comfort zone. It's going to be something like that. People are fulfilled by helping others, getting close to the potential, leading a happy and fulfilling life. And that really is a measure of a successful business. If that business can give you that. And again, it's not about saying that money's wrong because you need profit. Profit is what keeps your business alive. It's the blood of your business. You need it. And the more you have, the more impact you can make. But it's important that we don't just run a business just for money 
because you don't live just for blood. Exactly. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> So the, the characteristics in for me, it's it feels quite natural. I really, really struggled working in organisations. <laughs> it's really difficult for me because I don't I don't conform easily, and I don't often take advice. And those two elements don't make a particularly good employee, unfortunately, <laughs> for them benefit for me but yeah I think the biggest thing about being an entrepreneur and the kind of thing that I wasn't really thinking about is just how much you can get your head down and get such a narrow view of what you're doing that you don't take a step back and actually work on your business because for my first business it was fueled by frustration it was fueled by trying to prove people wrong and it was fueled by losing my graduate scheme in the recession and being told by a business advisor that I couldn't do it. And because of that, I was going to be successful in that business no matter what anybody said. And it was. The problem was that I had my head down hustling that whole time to prove them wrong. And it would have been much more beneficial for me to step back and realize where I brought the most value and then bring other people into bring their gifts and their value where I didn't bring as much but I was determined I was going to do it all myself because I was going to show them that I could do it and I was going to show them that a young black lad could go into the video game wholesaling industry and shake it up a bit and you know what Lynn I did but I made it hard work for myself and looking back really I should have opened my eyes much wider and I should have taken a step back and reflected more often and that's, I suppose, the biggest surprise for me because it's so easy, especially if your business is fueled by effectively like negative energy that you get sucked in and you get sucked deeper and deeper in and then you struggle to get out again. And so then I'm going to even dive in deeper into the question I just asked you. If you could time travel back to day one of your business, and have 15 minutes with your former self to communicate any lessons you've acquired with the intention of saving yourself mistakes and heartache, what would you tell yourself? I would go back and tell myself, give yourself a week of strategy, a year in. Step back and look what you're doing. And then I'd actually, I'd tell it that, that'd take about a minute. And then I'd actually go back and give myself the talk about where your value is. That'd be like a two or three minute talk. And then I'd go back and say, remember what your biggest assets are, your physical and your mental health. I'd tell myself that. Uh, and then in the last few minutes, I'd just reiterate the fact that, you know, to build a sustainable business, you need to be looking at things on a wider scale and actually go out and network outside your industry a bit more. 
because I networked inside of my industry and that hasn't helped me as I've looked to transition. I mean, it's been an interesting experience going out and doing more networking outside of the industry in recent years, but I was so internalized. I would just tell myself to get out of my own way. Because <laughs> we will do that. We get in our own way more than anyone else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, move out the way. <laughs> You're listening to the Just Minding My Black-Owned Business podcast. We'll be right back after this break. When you leave your business, do you leave the door unlocked? When facing legal matters in the business world, do not leave your business unprotected. There is help when it comes to business contracting, even collecting past due receivables from clients. An experienced attorney is critical to resolving disputes. Don't do it alone. At SJS Law Firm, their mission is to partner with clients to help them achieve the business of their dreams and plans with timely and strategic legal advice. Their legal counselors and advisors committed, providing individualized service that is tailored to the unique needs of your business. SJS Law Firm provides the legal support you need to move forward with confidence. Secure the knowledge that you have a legal team watching out for your best interests. Don't leave the door open. Call SJS Law Firm serving small business owners, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits. Profits. Call 202-505-5309. That's 202-505-5309. Or find them at the sjslawfirm.com. Statistics show that the most important asset as a successful business owner will be the relationships you build along the way. The Elite Conversations business community of seasoned and successful business owners and professionals will provide you a network of people with knowledge, resources, and the connections that can help take your business to the next level. Don't fall into the trap of frustration that results from being isolated and trying to figure things out on your own. Sign up for membership today and get connected with an awesome group of business owners, entrepreneurs, professionals, and influencers. To learn more about the great benefits of being a part of the Elite Conversations business community, call 301-257-5792. And now, back to Just Minding My Black-Owned Business podcast with Lynn Nicole. What does it mean to be an entrepreneur and how do you think that might be impacted by the economy today? Um, so for me, being an entrepreneur is it's about being someone who's willing to take risks, but is willing to treat business as a science and start experimenting. So entrepreneurialism is not for everybody. The truth is, it is much easier to go sit in a job, get a paycheck, go home. To be honest, being an entrepreneur doesn't really stop. And there's a lot of responsibility for you to ensure that you are generating enough income, enough responsibility on you to ensure that you're looking after yourself. So being an entrepreneur is quite a position of responsibility. It's not the hero and the, the shiny one and the saviour that's so often portrayed. And it's not the complete other side either. The person who's hustled the way from a dime, who now has billions and it's just it's just not that journey. For most people, it's difficult. Sometimes you're going to feel like going up onto the roof of your house and jumping off the side. And the, the joy is that, that entrepreneurialism feeling for me, though, is that 
entrepreneurs are the, are the people who change the world. They're not willing to do things the way everyone else is. And by stepping out there and taking that risk, you put yourself on the line a little bit. You, you put yourself in a place where you can be ridiculed. You can be called out. You can be hated on. And you can be told, you know what, you're wrong. But guess what? We're so resilient to failure because, you know, we're willing to take that chance. It's going to be entrepreneurs who start to change the world because we're willing and brave and courageous enough to do things differently, to bring our gifts, our values, and go out there and make a difference. We'll put that lab coat on. We'll go back to our science lesson at school and we'll mix some business ingredients together. And sometimes it's going to blow up in our face. But you know what? We'll go back and do it again until we get it right. And I think that's the big thing about entrepreneurs is entrepreneurs will make a change because they're the scientists of the world that we live in. They're the scientists of problems, the scientists of challenges. And for me, I'm happy to be part of that helping people to find ways to get their well-being higher because if I can make the world a happier and healthier place, then that's a good legacy for me to leave. So for those who still feel the pressure of uncertainty, how can they tap back into that resilience? Yeah, so a massive part of it is that we have to start to accept a little bit that things are uncertain. And that is, again, part of the entrepreneur's journey. It's uncomfortable. It is uncertain. But the future is uncertain. And it's starting to look and see, got to accept that we can't control the economic climate. There's lots of things in the world that we can't control. But what we can control is how we respond. So if you've lost your job, if you've been laid off, it doesn't feel great. You might have that bit of time to say, you know what, this is a bad time. Why me? Why now? But there becomes a point where you have to just step out of that and say, you know what, this is me being knocked out of my pattern, but this is a chance for me to stand up, do something different, do something new, find a new place for me. Maybe that's starting something new. Maybe that's going, moving to a different state and starting something else. Maybe you've got quite a settled life, but actually this bit of discomfort will be the fuel for you to go and do something new. And yeah, I fully appreciate at the minute there's a lot of people who've got financial well-being challenges. They've got a lot of difficulties that they're trying to navigate. But life is never simple. Life should never be comfortable for too long. Because human beings, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we weren't comfortable ever. <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago, Lynn, that if we were, if we were cruising around at night, we'd get eaten. So, I mean design this lovely comfortable world for ourselves but if you're comfortable you're not growing you're not taking any risks you're not really stepping outside of that comfort zone to become more as a person and you can't expect the world to come and give you things if you don't become more so being an entrepreneur yourself lee is there anything you would like to tell other entrepreneurs as they navigate through these challenging times yeah, so I think some of the some of the big things I'd like to share with them is ultimately this is a time for you to be innovative and creative. So look back to the economic crisis in two thousand and eight. Yeah, that was a challenging time. I lost my job, got laid off, and that became the catalyst for me to start 
depending on games my video game business. But for you today, just think about it. In that economic crash, Uber and Airbnb were born. We get a chance when things go into a bit of a crisis, when things get difficult, to actually think differently. And those companies who think differently are the change makers of tomorrow. And in 10 years' time, it might be your company who's gone into that industry, shook things up, and taken over a lot of the, uh, a lot of the market share because you've decided that actually disruption brings a time for you to step into that challenge. And yeah, fully appreciate that at this moment in time, you might be looking at that bottom line thinking, you know, we've got to keep, got to keep afloat here. But just in the front of that mind, think about the future. Because at the moment, yeah, it's a bit of an economic winter. But there's going to be a summer again. It's not that far away. You start building yourself as, as an entrepreneur. Start building your business to be more resilient. And start building the people around you to also go, go on that journey. Because you are going to be the change makers of the future. And now is the time to really put your foot on the gas and start developing in all the areas that you can. What's your number one stressor and your surefire stress buster? Um, so my number one stressor is it's myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes I do get in my own way and then I get stressed out. But when I pull myself out of my own way, then I'm like, I'm on fire. <laughs> so it's, it's like a good stress. It's a good stress, Lynn. What I do is I stress myself out. But I frustrate myself, but then that reminds me that I need to get out of my own way. And then when I get out of my own way, I've got lots of momentum. I use that stress like an energy bar, and I just fly off and get it done. <laughs> and yeah, and my stress buster is going walking in nature. So l last week I had my stress buster. Two little kids, Mars and Annabelle, the five and seven. I took them out to a number of different parks and forests and we just went walking, playing with sticks, throwing stuff around and just having having a you know a picnic that we put up and just enjoying quality time out in nature, surrounded by animals, surrounded by greenery and trees. We got rained on plenty of times. It rained so much here where I live. Um, and we just messed around. We played. I felt like a child again. It's so important as an entrepreneur that it's not all hustle, hustle, hustle. You've got to play. You've got to relax. You've got to have fun. And you've got to use that because, strangely, you become fueled by those moments of play, by those moments of rest. And your best creative ideas come when you're not grinding away. They come when you're there not thinking about it all for, for a change. So true. So true. Because my therapy is walking as well. It is like the best way to just come down and just free your mind. And like you say, that's when you get your best ideas or the answers to the questions that you were stuck on. You're listening to the Just Minding My Black Owned Business Podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Have you heard about the new Black Business Directory? Welcome to Click Urban. Here, you can find hundreds of businesses owned by us. Whatever business professional you're looking for, they're right here. And the best part is, membership is absolutely free. Just go to www.theclickurban.com, sign up for a free account, create your free listing, and boom, you're done. 
Begin surfing the largest black business directory online and be seen by hundreds of customers and clients all in one place. Get exposure on all of the major search engines, including Google. Our innovative platform includes search engine optimization that will make your listing easy to find. This is the hottest new business directory created for us by us. Join today. Go to www.theclickurban.com. And now, back to Just Minding My Black Owned Business podcast with Lynn Nicole. Best advice you've given or gotten in 24 words or less? The best advice that I have been given was by a business mentor that I had 10 years ago. And that advice, it's only short. It's not, it's not even 24 words. It's not even 14. It's, it was, don't take advice and don't conform. And those words, they really changed my life. Because in the world that we live in, so I, I'm, I'm 35 now, so I had that analog childhood, you know, no internet, no computers. And then I became a teenager and the internet and computers came. And all of a sudden, there was started to be that world where you saw other people's worlds and you started to compare yourself and you started to conform to the trends. But getting that advice, what it made me realise is I'm me. I'm Lee, I'm authentically myself, and when I went through my mental health challenges and came out of the other side, I realised that I was I just needed to be me and go out there and be me, not conform. And truth be told, there's too much advice in this world, not enough encouragement. Everyone knows what they've got to do. Most people have a good idea, most people are educated, and most people could generally give you the answer, except we don't need answers in life. Google gives you most of the answers that you need. What you need is the ability. What you need is the ability to ask yourself the questions to get the answers that are inside of you. And they don't teach that at school. And that comes from gradually asking yourself questions and you get better at answering those questions. But when you're constantly answering other people's questions, you never go inside yourself. Or when you're too busy taking other people's advice, you don't even ask any questions. So really, that, that was life-changing for me because now I don't conform and now I don't take advice. I go and see and experiment with bits of advice that I feel come from the right place and see if it works. But I don't take it. I go and test it. Let's talk about essentialized workplace well-being for a moment. When it comes to conversations about being healthier, why is it so important to target the workplace and enact change there? It's so important for Meelan because it's a place where we spend, you know, at least a third of our waking hours, for some people more. And it's the kind of place where we go to almost every day. And what it is, is in our homes, we have a relative level of control. We can design our homes. We can choose what foods in our fridge and our cupboards. We have a lot of control in our home. We don't have as much control at work. And therefore, there's that element of employers having a little bit of liability to help their employees ensure that they're well. Because really, ultimately, it is an employee's authority to choose their own health behaviours. 
but a workplace has a responsibility to ensure that the people who are there are ultimately regenerated by doing the work that they're doing. And for me, it was really important to hit workplaces because so many people have stories of toxic work environments that have, you know, that have caused them significant trauma, that have caused them to feel that, you know, they're worthless, to feel that they don't fit in, to feel like they are they are nothing. And that just makes me sad inside because workplaces should be a place where everyone comes together with a shared mission, shared values, and puts together their strengths, their gifts, and their desires to move towards a goal together. In so many workplaces, there is no team. It's just a group of people. And really, the, the places that feel great to work, you feel like a team. You bound together. You feel like you belong. You actually feel that they care about you. They appreciate you. They value the work that you do and the person that you are. And when you talk, they hear you. They don't just sit there and think about what they're saying next. You you're actually listen to and heard. And that gives you something inside that allows you to grow it gives you that autonomy, that space to become more, both as a worker, but as a human being. So you have the time and the energy to go and do the things that you love when you leave work. That's my big passion, because the truth is, everyone talks about work-life balance, but you just have life. and Work needs to integrate into your life. And really, workplaces should be helping people integrate that work and then help them and assist them to look at how their health behaviours can help them perform better, can help them become healthier, and can just help them live a more fulfilling life. And ultimately, the workplace has a part to play in that. Not the whole responsibility, but it does have a part, and that is the message that I get out there, that let's start to look at the challenges that your employees face, and let's start to look at the challenges of the future, put them together, and start to solve those today. Well, Lee, how does being productive impact our health overall? So it's significant, Lynn, because our productivity, quite a lot of it stems ultimately from our ability to be well. If you're not well, you'll not be very productive. <laughs> and the truth is being productive has a big impact because if, if you're seen as unproductive, you're more likely to be laid off. You're more likely to find yourself in a place where you don't want to be, in a job where you don't feel valued, in a place where you're not happy. And what that means is then that negatively compounds over time for you to feel not a very purposeful human being. When you don't feel like you have a purpose, and you don't feel like you're able to perform, then you don't step up and start looking after yourself in the same way. And if you flip that over, when you get a good night's sleep, you can concentrate. You've got attention. You can put it where you want. You've not got these emotional swings. You've not got this hormonal up and downs that cause conflict and mistakes. You actually become more productive when you look after yourself. And that, again, is an upward spiral because you can become more productive. And then you feel more purposeful. And you feel, like, ah, actually, I'm doing quite well. I feel quite good. I'd like, I'd like to feel better. I'd like to work better. I'd like to do more. And so often 
they kind of get separated wellness and performance. But wellness is probably your biggest performance KPI because well people perform day in, day out. With the current situation going on in our economy, I should say in our country today, how do you think COVID-19 will change the wellness market? Oh, well, it's um, it's interesting. In my opinion, it's going to make places more absorbent and realize that their employees, you know, they're vital. Your employees are your recovery. They're the people that run the processes that ultimately make your business run on a day-to-day basis. and there's going to be a mental health fallout from COVID, no doubt about it. There's a lot of people who are really struggling mentally and workplaces need to have support in place to help people in those situations because, again, work forms such a you know a vital and pivotal part in our lives. And I just see that at the moment, there are some companies who are really trying to protect themselves and there are some who are thinking, our people are our recovery. Our people are going to be the people who are still here when we get out of the other side into a into growth again, into better times. And if we've looked after them now, they'll repay that gratitude by performing above and beyond. And they'll be ready to perform because they won't be hiding in the corner. They'll still be at the desk. They'll still be at the grindstone and they'll be ready. And that's what you want. You don't want an office of people hiding away. You want your people to be fired up and lit up. And that means that you need to ensure that they do feel appreciated. They do feel like there's a bit of, you know, they care for me. And the values of the company, they are being lived. And it's not just the leadership, but it's everybody on on that on that on that truck together, on that school bus together traveling up that highway in the same direction to the same place and knowing that you can feel that this is going to be our time and like I said earlier this is the time for innovation this is the time to invest in people because people repay you back in so many ways when you put your faith and a little bit of budget behind how they feel how they develop and how they work. Well, then share one personal business highlight that you've had over the past year. Yeah, so my my biggest highlight, I was I'm working with a company, 128 employees, and I went in there and initially spoke to the leadership team and wow, they were so disconnected from any kind of idea that they should help their employees. I went down to speak to their employees, the people at the bottom of the hierarchy, and they were they were the morale. It was on the floor, Lynn. They honestly felt like they'd get sacked tomorrow. They felt like the leadership didn't even know what they were called. The overarching feeling was that they weren't part of a team. In fact, they were just disposable robots. That's what they felt like, and. I was like, to be honest, it made me upset inside. It made me feel that it shouldn't be like this. So I started a process over six months to start to try and build a strategy to get a workplace culture where we got people together. We got people to learn about each other. And you know what? They weren't ready for these health awareness workshops that I deliver because they need well-being that starts internally. They need a culture 
that can really utilize that. Otherwise, they are spending their budget showing their people about health awareness, but the people don't care because they're not looked after. It just seems like a talking gesture if it's not starting in the workplace's culture and the values. So I got them all into a room over three sessions. I got everyone to say what their values were, what they thought the company's values should be, and we did an exercise to try and bring those all together so that the company then stood for what everyone felt. And yeah, there was lots and lots of shared values. But what that did is all of a sudden, everyone from the cleaner to the MD got to contribute. They got to participate. They were sat in a room and they talked. They heard each other. They actually found out that Brian had two kids. You know, his boss didn't even know he had kids. Like, and it's like all of a sudden over the six month period that company went from having workers that felt like just another number on a payroll sheet to actually socializing outside of work to an md who decided he will come and not just do like a walk by hello this is who i am he actually was going onto the floor and speaking to people he reconnected to his business. He changed. And I think that's the biggest thing for me from that is that he started as a very resistant fellow who was like, no, it's always been like this. Absolutely fine. I don't like change. I don't want to change it. And I actually got not only the buy-in from him financially, I got the buy-in from his heart. He realized from that time that I spent with him and the leadership team, that they had so much to give their workers as people, not just as leaders, but they could help everyone in the organisation become a leader themselves. And we took away the blame culture. We worked on the fact that people had the chance to maybe do things a little bit the wrong way instead of just being told what to do and doing it in in the same way over and over again. And they were astonished because if you give people uh, if you give people a framework to work within, they'll do amazing things because all of a sudden they have a bit of choice, they have a bit of autonomy. Whereas if you just tell them what to do in a prescriptive way, they'll just do that and nothing else. And all of a sudden, we had a company and the revenue, it more than doubled in that period. Very inspirationally, very So for those who are interested in participating in your workshops or want to reach out to you, where should they go? Yeah, the best place for them to go, Lynn, would be to leechambers.org. And there they can find out about my workshops. They can contact me and they can find the information on my social platforms and my blogs and all the resources that I have available. Leechambers.org. So you have a book coming out that's uh, scheduled to be released November of this year called How to Conquer Anything. What's one idea from the book that you've incorporated in your own day-to-day life? Yes, that that would be the conquering fear section. And what I would take from that is simply the fact that what you fear is where you're going to grow. So so often we stand in front of that door thinking, this is a door of fear. If I take a step through that door, it's going to be scary. 
we just stand there. And then we kind of creep up to it and touch the hand of them. Like, oh, no, no, it's a bit scary. It's a bit scary. And sometimes you just need someone to open the door and kick you through it. Because on the other side of that door of fear is your potential. It's your growth. It's what you want. It's what you want to become. And it's scary because it is scary to grow. And yet, sometimes we just need to take that step through, that bit of courage. And that comes from gradually practicing stepping a bit outside your comfort zone every day. And that zone expands and expands and expands. And that's a practice that I suggest for anyone. Because if you can become courageous, you can start to control that fear a little bit. And what that does is it allows you to navigate situations that only a few years ago, you would have honestly believed you would probably have rather died than do it. Once the book is released, um, where will our listeners be able to find it? Will it also be on your website? Yep, so it'll be on my website, but it will also be on Amazon through Kindle and as a paperback as well. This has been an awesome, 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 awesome conversation. Just want to say, Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, Lynn, it's been an absolute pleasure, a privilege, and thank you for inviting me again. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Just Minding My Black-Owned Business podcast. Catch new episodes every week, Tuesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Standard Time and Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Cali.fm. You can also reach us on our website at www.jmmbobpodcast.com. As always, guys, please share, subscribe, and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you do use. We really appreciate your feedback and support. Thanks for listening. And remember, the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. See you next episode. You've been listening to the Just Mind in My Black-Owned Business with Lynn Nicole podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like more information on any of our stories or would like to know how to get involved and share your story, head over to our website at theclickurban.com to contact us. Have a great week, and we'll see you next episode.